0: There are bad times just around the corner There are dark clouds hurtling through the sky And it's no good whining about a silver lining For we know from experience that they won't roll by With a scowl and a frown We'll keep our peckers down And prepare for depression and doom and dread We're going to unpack our troubles from our old kit bag And wait until we drop
1: Hello and welcome to Paleo Cinema Podcast 200. My name is Terry Frost and this time around we're doing chick flicks. Alyssa Krasnestein from Perth has decided to drop in and uh, join me while we look at um, a couple of mid-1960s women's films. The first one is a colour film starring Lana Turner, Cliff Robertson and the very recently late Hugh O'Brien, it's called Love Has Many Faces, and it's set in Acapulco, it's a lot of fun and it's got some kind of hidden depths to it. Then we go to another movie based on a novel by E. V. Cunningham, which was a pseudonym for Howard Fast, the man who wrote Spartacus It is Sylvia, starring Carol Baker and George Maharis And this one's in black and white, but uh, again, it's an interesting film for a few historical reasons, and it's got a cast of minor characters that are crazy, vivid people. And that's one of the reasons why I really like the film. So, um, yeah, the reason I played that music at the start, in case you didn't dig it, is Donald Trump of course now I went on to about a four day rant binge on Facebook about the American election, it does affect us even though we're on the other side of the planet there are economic um, military and political ramifications for Australia as much as there is for any other country that isn't the United States of America and I was in shock basically, I had the day off on Wednesday the day that uh, the election happened here in Australia, of course it was Tuesday in America And uh, a bunch of us got together on Facebook on a uh, little event that Alyssa put together. And we kind of talked through as things were happening. We updated each other with links and all sorts of things like that. And it's it's like going to a party where everybody's nice and everything's going really well and everything's kind of groovy. And then slowly everybody gets food poisoning. That's what it was like. It was a shock to all of us and of course it shouldn't have been um in the aftermath a lot of analysis has been done regarding disenfranchisement of middle class in america and uh there's some legitimate concerns that weren't being addressed by mainstream politics and so a bad but honest decision was made by some people of course there are the racists and the um extreme religious people and the people who for reasons more to do with their own pathology than anything else hate lgbti people uh but for the most part there were people who were in pain who made a bad decision now when you're in fearful and when you're scared and when you're angry and when you have no sense of what the future is going to be like You can make bad decisions. We've all done it. We've all been there. We've made really fucking stupid decisions because we were worried about something or we were scared and it overwhelmed us and we made a decision. And that's kind of probably, to a certain extent, to a certain number of people, is what happened. A bad decision was made because of circumstances. And so one of the most powerful countries in the world, apart from Russia, which already has one, is being run by a sociopath. So i wish us all the best look after each other we're going to have to bond together and look after each other if things get a bit crazy and difficult and nasty over the next four years and i'm going to do my little bit with movies i'm going to keep doing the podcast i'm going to talk with people i'm going to get more guests in as well that's one of the decisions i've made for the 200th episode get more guests and get a few other voices apart from my own happening on this podcast and um, Alyssa, even before we recorded, has said that she wants to do this again. So we'll get her in to do some other um, older films as well. And I'll get in a few other people. Uh, I want to get uh, Dr. Zom back. I'll have to liaise with his people. He's in his bunker on the east coast of the US and I'm going to have to kind of liaise with his people to uh, find out what's happening there, but he's a person I'd really like to get back on. Uh, Rupert would like to get back on, a bunch of other people like that, so the uh, things are looking up and after that initial shock and pain and anguish, which I expressed with varying degrees of eloquence on Facebook um, I'm going to move on and I'm going to look after you guys with podcasts so that's my mission for the next four years, and uh, it's not a bad one as things go. Um, I'm sorry about the delay in the podcast. It's been delayed a week for those who didn't know. Alyssa and I recorded this podcast a week ago, and I went back and listened to the files, and there are all these stuttering artifacts on the audio file that we had. So it was unusably bad and uh so we rescheduled for this week and uh a good friend of the podcast morris from love that album gave me some new recording software for recording skype calls and lo and behold it has worked so this is going to be the second attempt at the podcast and a successful one in this case so um i'll get the show started and we have a guest for this, the 200th episode of Paleo Cinema Podcast, and this is the second time we're recording this, so I've got my fingers crossed and my eyes on the readouts. And say hello to Alyssa Krasnerstein. Hi, how you doing, Alyssa?
2: I'm good, glad to be here again.
1: Yes, deja vu all over again. But um, yeah, so thank you for doing this again. Uh, these things happen, but they annoy the shit out of me when they do. Yep. Yep. So, um, we'll start with a little bit about you. So, you know, your publishing wonderfulness, your podcasting wonderfulness and your general wonderfulness.
2: Oh, okay. Done. Okay. Uh, <laughs> um, I am a small press publisher in Australia,
3: mm-hmm.
2: um, focusing on sort of encouraging diverse voices, mostly feminist, um, science fiction, fantasy, horror and crime, but also other diverse Voices.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, I am one-third of Galactic Suburbia, which is a feminist podcast for science fiction that we've been doing for like six years now or something crazy, yep. and people still listen. Mm-hmm. Um, and I am also at home with a toddler and a nine-month-old.
1: Yes, you are. <laughs> at least one of whom drinks baby chinos, or she migrated on to hot chocolates now.
2: I have not introduced the hot chocolate, but okay. she still okay. now grades people on the um, chino. So we were out on uh, Thursday, and she did not receive any marshmallows. What? And uh, it was, yeah, it was not cool. It was, it was a very hipster, Fremantle-type place, and uh, mm-hmm. she was pointing them out on the counter, but she did not get any. So
1: I wouldn't go back there if it was me. We,
2: we won't be going back there, no.
1: No, fair enough, too. <laughs> Um, so, yeah, uh, now, now, of course, Galactic Suburbia, fantastic podcast, gets more awards than I've ever seen, which is nice, because you guys do a fantastic job of it, mm-hmm. um, and so what have you been watching, what kind of media have you been absorbing in your copious spare time?
2: Yeah, I watch a lot of media. People are quite shocked, but I'm sure you do as well. Um, I don't consider it a big deal. I wish I read more, but I am never short of watching. Last week when we had this conversation, I told you that I was watching Frequency,
3: Mm
2: -hmm. um, which was creeping me out. So I haven't actually watched any more of it because my husband's away, so I will wait for him to get back. Um, But I'm really enjoying that with sort of a strong female lead, and it's super creepy. Um, but this week I am all into the Gilmore Girls quick (laughs) marathon, uh, (laughs) um, binge watch because I need to get that done by next Friday for the release of the new four episodes. So that's what we're concentrating on.
1: I'm sure it's not the last we'll hear of those episodes on social media (laughs) or podcasting.
2: Yeah, but then it's like, you know, um, so it's 10 years later and, much love show, and yay, everybody's coming back, and it's the original writers. So you're hoping that it's going to be good, but, like, the X-Files, um, the, that little extra bit, I bailed out after episode two, I think. They were terrible. So there's this kind of, like, fear that it's going to suck.
1: Yeah. Well, the, um, yeah, I mean, I didn't watch the X-Files ones, but I know Sally did. And yeah. she was bitterly disappointed by them.
2: Yeah, they weren't good.
1: No. And, um, The interesting thing for the Gilmore Girls thing will probably be how much Botox and plastic surgery is involved.
2: Well, I'll just say this. Lauren Graham looks older. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And, of course, like Alexis was quite young when she did it. So she she looks, I guess, however old Lauren Graham was when they originally filmed it. So, um, and a few other people look sort of larger and so on. But, yeah, I mean, that's, that, but that's good, isn't it? Because it's 10 mm. years, people yeah. do look different.
1: Yeah, we're all, we're all kind of plagued by this genetic damage called ageing.
2: And gravity. Well,
1: yeah, gravity <laughs> is affected by the genetic damage that time causes to us. And it, it's totally unfair, but it does happen. So anything else you've been um, absorbing?
2: I think I've been listening to some podcasts, but I couldn't recall what because I... <laughs> hasn't slept very much but you tell me what you've been absorbing
1: um last night i actually did something a bit interesting which i'm going to put up on the next Mars and driving podcast
2: Mm -hmm.
1: i did a talk about podcasting for the melbourne science fiction club
2: oh yeah i saw you went to that
1: yeah so i went to there and it took apparently they had some problems because the guy who had the key um had to have some emergency surgery and couldn't turn up so People were madly calling people who had alternative keys. So we got in there about 20 minutes late. And I did um, about a 45-minute talk about my history in podcasting, the history of podcasting, getting the radio gig, what's involved in the radio gig, how wonderful people at the ABC are, Mm -hmm. and all of that. And I've been spending a bit of time this evening editing that down for the next uh, Martian Drive-In. Well,
2: that sounds interesting.
1: I'll have to tune in. Yeah, it's... um, a few people in the audience didn't really understand podcasting and asked some kind of off-the-wall questions. But I was polite, and, and we got through it. And uh, I forgot to get a drink of water, so I talked for 45 minutes without a sip of water. And at the end of it, my throat was getting very, very dry. Yeah. But, you know, I got through it, and I'm going to go back and talk about some other stuff, maybe Marvel Cinematic Universe or something like that next time.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I just hope they get there on time because standing around outside was kind of a bit dull and it's in a weird location too in Coburg because it's on Sydney Road in Coburg which is the main drag of the suburb of Coburg here in Melbourne and surrounding it there's two kinds of businesses only
3: uh-huh.
1: one of which is cafes and restaurants Right. Um, they're either Italian or they're um, Middle Eastern Okay. and massage parlours
2: Right,
1: I thought you were going to say that. Yeah, Uh, it's only something I noticed because I walked down to get a coffee while I was waiting for this place to open. And in a block, I went past six massage parlours. I mean,
3: that's
2: convenient.
1: Well, I'm sure it is, and I'm I'm sure it helps small business people, but it's a very unusual thing to have them all kind of clustered in one area of a main road that doesn't have particularly good parking. (laughs) So I'm, I'm sure they're making money because the businesses are still there, but it was a very weird experience. So there's that. Um, like I said last time, I watched The Expanse, yes. the 10-episode um, series about kind of 300 years in the future. Shenanigans around the solar system with Mars, the Earth, and the belt all at odds with each other, as well as an outside influence. I'm not going to spoil by telling people what it is. But I've also started reading the novels of The Expanse. Leviathan's Wake, the first one.
2: That's right. Yeah. I've
1: gone through, and I'm, I'm enjoying them. I, I'm invested in the characters. I like the way the writing goes. And uh, there are four so far, I think, so I'm going to have to keep my Kindle charged up and read through them because uh, the first series of um, The Expanse is half of the first novel. So, okay. So Series 2 is coming out next year. But if they stay true to the novels, I already know what happens. But I want to see it on the screen as well. So it, it kind of works for me in that way. Even though it's like Game of Thrones. yeah, I read them back in the 90s, so I knew what was going to happen. I knew about the Red Wedding and all the other stuff. So a lot of people got shocked by that. And I went, no, no, I knew that stuff in the 90s. You guys are just slow. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so I am enjoying that. And, uh, it's nice seeing some good, solid... Hard science Science fiction Fiction Fiction. with some strong female characters as well, and some very flawed male characters, not the usual usual heroic types that you get. They're kind of flawed and and, um, grungy kind of characters, which I like.
2: Yeah, no, well, they're more interesting. Yeah,
1: and they've got a very strong female character as one of the UN's head executives, who's also from India. So having a strong kind of female character who's not white yeah. as a major player in the plot really works well. And the character is fantastic. She's idiosyncratic. She swears like a trooper. Like a trooper. Uh, yeah. She's nice to her family. She's got a, a supportive husband and grandchildren that she indulges. And she's also the most hard-ass politician on the planet. Awesome. Yeah, so I really like that part of it. So apart from that, I haven't been doing much because I've been doing solo cat wrangling while Sally was away for a week. So I go to work, come home, have to deal with the cats, and by then I'm so tired because I've got to feed them, I've got empty litter trays, I've got to make myself dinner and do all of that, which I normally have assistance with. Yeah. And it just wore me out this week. (laughs) I was so glad when she came back for a number of reasons
2: yes it's tough doing it
1: on your own oh absolutely but you know you you do it because you want to cut the other person's like in your case chris is away but i wanted Sal to have time with her family so we kind of negotiated that um that time away which kind of worked for her it was good that she got there she got a lot of presents from them from their trip to europe but um yeah anyway let's move on we're going to talk about a couple of movies which were perceived at the time as women's films. Some people will call them chick flicks, but I'm going to avoid that term. They're both from 1965, which is right in that sweet spot between the old nuclear family kind of stuff and the beginning of counterculture, which started in 65 to 67. And they are Love is Many Faces, starring Lana Turner, Cliff Robertson and Hugh O'Brien, set on the beaches of Acapulco and a more complex and interesting movie for me, Sylvia from 1965, starring Carol Baker and George Maharis, about uh, kind of, it's this kind of Citizen Kane thing, where they're researching the history of a woman a very wealthy man has engaged to, and so a private detective is sent out to find her background. So um, i just play the theme music for Love Has Many Faces because it's very good. It's by Nancy Wilson who's a very good singer and it does kind of give you the mood and the the feel for the times of this
3: movie.
0: I always thought romance a song and a dance a chance for fun I've said love has many faces And I mean to kiss everyone I always used to say I'll take a bouquet Not just one rose at me
1: So, Love Has Many Faces. I'll find an IMDB Precy on this one because it's fairly accurate, unlike most IMDB priceys. Um Rich Playgirl, or Playwoman, because she's in her 40s. Kit Jordan is in Acapulco vacationing with her current husband, Pete, formerly an American beach boy working the Acapulco shores for rich women. Meanwhile, the body of one of Pete's fellow beach boys, Billy Andrews, washes to shore. On his wrist is a bracelet engraved with Love is Thin Ice. The police investigate whether it was murder or suicide. Conflict arises when Billy's old girlfriend Carol makes a play for Pete and a beach boy named Hank tries to score with Kit. The stability of the marriage is put to the test. So, what did you think of Love as many faces? I know this isn't your favourite of the two. I know, I like hate
2: it more than I did last week. Now that I Okay, think about good. What's the passion <laughs> happening? <laughs> yeah. That's why I was laughing. Um, I I probably thought it was deeper and more interesting than, than you did. Like I agree yep. with you that the second movie uh, is our favourite. Hmm. Um, this movie was so bleak. Yep. Um, it was hard to watch because it was just filled with a lot of really unhappy people. Um, and he never really got to the bottom of really any of it. Um, and the sort of resolution at the end, basically everybody just like agreed to be unhappy. Which um, is <laughs> <laughs> like, I wouldn't call it a chick flick at all. Um, I, I'm still like puzzled, like, did he commit suicide? He clearly wasn't murdered because they dropped the case. Yeah. But then it was just like, and what does love is thin ice even mean?
1: Yeah. Um, it, it's kind of one of those things that sounds profound, but if you think about it for more than about a nanosecond, it isn't.
2: <laughs> no, it's just like, you know, whatever. Um, so, like, Kit was clearly a very interesting person in her being deeply conflicted and troubled, but we never really, we never really saw it. We saw everybody around her. Yeah. Um, the, the swimwear was fantastic.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. When in Dad fall back on the frocks?
2: The well, <laughs> I meant the men's ones. Oh, okay. <laughs> the
1: men's ones. Okay. Hilarious.
2: Yeah. They were hilarious. Um, and, uh, I loved the setting of Acapulco. That was really fun. And also a really interesting glimpse that we kind of saw, of sort of rich Americans making a playground. Um,
1: in a third that, world country, yeah.
2: it's a third world country, like there's massive amount of wealth yep. Um, yep. on clear a lot of poverty. Um, you, you, I mean, it wasn't really touched on at all in the film, but you could just kind of see it um, watching, you know, with hindsight, of us in 2016. So it was interesting, mm. very grim film, I felt, and then, you know,
1: and they just scored her with a, with a, a bull. bull. <laughs> yeah. Which is, I mean, if you're going to have, you know, you've got to have something at the end that makes a conflict. So, yeah, let's get these people off the beaches, take them out into the countryside to a bull, uh, you know, a bullfighting training place run by Ricardo Montalban's brother. And we'll have Lana touring by a bull, and her husband kind of tries to rescue her. Um, it's kind of off the wall and it's totally out of context with the rest of the film in a lot of ways so long and again. it's kind—it's of, very campy that kind of an ending too
2: yeah
1: but, um, but there are bits of the movie that I liked um, I liked Hugh O'Brien playing Hank the kind of totally amoral aging beach boy played by Hugh O'Brien in his 40s and looking very good being able to hold himself horizontally on a pole
2: yes that was very impressive
1: it was very impressive.
3: And,
2: I would have been impressed.
1: And I like you, Brian is an actor. Um, he did Westerns in the early days, a TV series called Wide Herb, and some cool spy series in the 1970s. Um, and he also ran a um, camp for um, troubled kids to kind of you know, get them back on track and things like that. So he did a lot of charity work later in life. He had a ranch and he made it available to um, charities for troubled kids. It's really nice. It is really nice, and it's something that a lot of people of that vintage and of that kind of background of being studio actors who, when the studio system decreased, had to go out and do independent things and went on to do television and other things like that. A lot of them just kind of looked after number one. But Hugh O'Brien wasn't that kind of guy. So he was interesting. And the other person, and you know I love this person, was an ageing woman who's going after the Beach Boys and and hooks up with Hank called Margot, played by Ruth Roman. And she was the kind of wisest person in the movie in a lot of ways. She knew what she wanted. She wanted to have Hank and um, having him around as a Beach Boy. She was very aware of his flaws as a human being and she just went for what she wanted.
2: Yeah, and she was also really aware of... Of all the players at play like she just seemed really you couldn't really get one by her
1: yeah And she had a good sense of humor she was um smart and witty and charming and if I wasn't married I would date that woman
2: <laughs> you probably married a woman a lot like that
1: woman um to a certain extent yeah but um I'm fairly sure that the woman I'm married isn't quite as wealthy as Margot is, which is probably the um, yeah. flaw Sally has. But, <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, I, I really liked it because, as I said to you last time we recorded this, yeah. there are characters in these kind of movies that play really well to a 21st century audience and to our cultural sensibilities. And I think Margot is the one character in this movie that, plays really well to us in this century and is the character that we like the most in the movie
2: yeah i really agree with that i think she has a lot of that sort of sarcastic snark and Mm. stuff that we saw a lot of in the 90s yeah which is obviously still now right even though that's 20 years ago um that's kind of my cultural touchstone and she she's very much that
1: yeah and she. Dragged along her friend, who hooked up with one of, the, one of the other Beach Boys, and um and you know they they just kind of did what they needed to do. Nobody could blackmail her, nobody could shame her because she was living on her own terms, mm. and you know she she just did that kind of stuff, and I, I really liked that. The other thing that I like about the movie is the women had all the economic power in this movie. It wasn't the guys who did. The guys were to varying extents and in varying ways, reliant on the economic wherewithal that came from these women.
2: Yes. I mean, almost all the women in the movie had uh, the wealth. Um, I'm just... uh, I'm not sure... I didn't... I'm not sure what I think about that, really, Um, because... Well, Margot obviously, you know, yep. she 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 did have all the power. She wasn't really concerned about reputation. That's something else we, we were talking about, that it was very sexually um, uh, liberated and without judgment. So they came down for a good time and they had a good time and she didn't really feel like anybody could ruin her reputation or blackmail mm-hmm. her or put her in a position where she should be ashamed. And so she was a very empowering uh person but i don't think you could really say the same with kit like um she she was powerful and she did have all the money but she's definitely was being played by a lot of people i think yeah that marriage she, was just so weird and uncomfortable
1: it was because she was she had alcohol problems he had alcohol problems they were together because they hooked up when she was in hospital after having a car accident while drunk and he was there donating blood to make some money. Yeah. And it's a kind of weirdly codependent sort of relationship where there wasn't any kind of love or passion. Right. Really, there was like, you know, you're mine. I don't want you to do that.
2: Yeah, and then there was this really awkward thing where she was planning a party for the evening and it was like, you know, if we have a party, then we won't, like, fight. So let's mm. have a party. So I was just like... You could just not party and drink and just break up, and then that <laughs> would like fix yeah. your problem. Um, but that's like not where the movie went in the end. It was it was really and so it was like they'd only been married for a year, and obviously she'd been involved with this other guy. And then they didn't really like each other, but they were just like going to continue on. And I don't really understand with the fiance that came looking for the guy.
1: Yeah, the character played by Stephanie Powers, who wandered down to find um, her boyfriend who had just died and and find out why he died when he was basically a a beach boy. Um, There's not a strong motivation for that character, but they needed an ingenue in there to Mm. kind of threaten the marriage. It's very much by the book Studio Product, um, written by a a lady called Muggery Chapman who mostly wrote westerns, and she wrote them better than she wrote this one. (laughs) Uh, But it, it was one of those movies which studios which at the time of course were run by men thought that these were the kind of movies that women wanted to see so they get in Lana Turner who made a career of being a slightly victimised female and um, put her in there, the weird thing about this movie is they, they got Edith Head who was the biggest fashion designer in movies for about 50 years to design the clothes for Lana Turner in this film and they spent a million dollars on Lana Turner's wardrobe for the movie and the movie's budget was only about three million. So That's crazy. it is crazy. There was a there's a line in Hollywood at the time saying Edith Head gives good wardrobe which um which was considered <laughs> funny at the time I suppose. But um but yeah, I mean the clothing it looks good and there's some really um mid sixties fashion in there. But yeah. but I there kind of I mean I like Ruth Roman in this film, I like Hugh O'Brien as well for playing an lot of shit very well. Uh, I think Cliff Robertson didn't look particularly happy in the role. He'd just come off a movie called PT One Hundred and Nine, where he played John F. Kennedy during World War II. and mm-hmm. he was. Uh, this was made either in the same year or the year before. He got an Academy Award-winning role playing Charlie, the movie based on Flowers for Algernon. Oh, yeah. So, you know, he was obviously filling a studio requirement. He had a contract, so he was fulfilling it in this film. and I don't think he really brought his A-game as an actor to this role, in which he was terribly miscast because it definitely wasn't a, a Cliff Robertson sort of role.
2: But. Yeah, it's an interesting film. I'm glad we watched it.
1: <laughs> so you want to move on from that one, do you? <laughs> <laughs> nice music, nice frocks, well-toned bodies, pretty much.
2: I mean, look, for I can, yeah. I, I think it's interesting because I think um, – I read a I read a review and I was like searching around mm. for this, I can't remember what I was looking for, and it was like this really terrible review for this movie in the New York Times in like in 1965, and I was like clearly, um, yeah, like chick lit, you know, stupid housewives will go and watch this. Mm. And I find that fascinating because underlying, like nobody was happy and nobody got what they wanted in this movie, and it's like, is that really what housewives enjoyed watching in 1965?
1: Yep. Well, I know my mum used to go to see other things. She'd go to see Doris Day movies. Right, and, exactly. And she'd watch The Beast from 20,000 Fathoms with me. And we watch kind of, you know, schlocky 1950s science fiction movies together. And, um, you know, the movies she liked tended to be funnier because she was, you know, she had some problems with my father and other things, which I won't go into. But for her, women's movies as they were called then, she was looking for the kind of women's movies that were an escape. They were comedies. They were fun. They weren't heavy and dramatic. Yeah. So for her at least, and uh, I can only talk from my knowledge of of the movies I saw with her when I was a very young child, her movies were more of an escape from that kind of emotional and relationship heaviness rather than being drawn toward it.
2: Yeah, you would think so. I mean, to like discard this movie as a woman's film is usually like it's um, contentless and light and fluffy, but that was not this film.
1: So, yeah, I mean, I'm not going to rate this movie because I don't tend to rate movies. I just look at them as tapestries, and some of them got holes in them and some of them don't. And um, and it makes me want to go and watch a couple more things with Ruth Roman in them and a couple more things with Hugh O'Brien because I think they were both stars of a certain vintage that were interesting characters and interesting people away from the screen as well.
2: I would certainly like to see more with Ruth Roman in.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I did mention when we talked about this previously that she lived in a house full of Hollywood starlets in the 50s, which was a pun on the House of Seven Gables, but they called it the House of Seven Garbos, because they are all like Greta Garbo and wanted to be left alone by all the Hollywood men around the place. <laughs> so it was a very popular household with a whole bunch of different actresses in it and weird people like Jerry Lewis and Leonard Nimoy used to come there and try to pick up the girls
2: it's just creepy and weird
1: it is creepy and weird but are, I've been in shared houses that were like that back in the day it's just something that's not particularly only relevant to Hollywood it's young people living together in shared houses weird things happen but uh, anyway, we should move on to the much more interesting movie, Sylvia, nineteen sixty-five. Um, I like this one a hell of a lot more.
0: Boy, there's nothing like you in attractive business.
4: <laughs> Thanks.
0: Well, who the hell did you expect? Goldilocks?
4: I was hired by a man who believes he has the right to know all there is to know about a prospective bride.
0: You and your client sound as if you deserve each other.
3: Are you crazy? Don't tell me, in all the books you've read, was there anything about a man like me? Let go of me. Let go!
1: Now, Sylvie was actually based on a novel by E.V. Cunningham, who was actually Howard Fast, the guy that wrote the book that Spartacus was based on. He was one of the people who was blacklisted by the House Un-American Activities Committee in the 1950s and had a lot of trouble in his career since then. And so he decided to write a series of suspense novels of various kinds. He wrote 13 of them, all with titles that were just the first name of a woman. And the first one he did was a book called Sylvia. And I'm gonna read the blurb off the back of Sylvia cause I like the way back, of, back cover blurbs were in paperbacks in the 1960s. And the edition I've got is a 1964 pan edition. I think, let me see, yeah, it was originally printed in 1960 by Doubleday, and this edition's 1964. It says, A search into the past of a mysterious and beautiful woman. A search that led a man to startling discoveries about love and cruelty, about sex and degradation, and above all, about himself. This absorbing story of that search makes something much bigger than just a first-rate detective novel. Sylvia plumbs the depths of human emotion in a manner that leaves the reader spellbound. I love those blurbs; they're always bombastic and over the top, <laughs> and not entirely accurate. But um, let me just get the IMDb up on Sylvia because um, I like this movie. It stars, um, and it helps if you spell Sylvia right when you search for things. Did you know that? Right. Yeah, getting the y's and the i's and things like that really don't <laughs> work. And if you spell it with S-Y-V-L-I-A instead of S-Y-L-V-I-A, you end up with obscure Romanian action films for some reason. Mm
3: -hmm.
1: Okay, let me just find this. Sylvia, 1965. So this one was in black and white, which surprised me, but it was a fairly Mm. low-budget movie for the time, directed by Gordon Douglas, who directed a bunch of other um, pretty good films, but it stars Carol Baker, who just been in a number of very successful movies like Baby Doll, made by Ilya Kazan, and um, a biopic of Jean Harlow, the 1930s movie actress called Harlow. So she stars as Sylvia, the title character who has a number of different surnames at different times in her life. We have George Maharas playing the detective Alan Macklin. George Maharas had just been in a very successful TV series called Route 66 which was about two guys him and the actor uh, called marty milner and all they did was travel around america taking odd jobs and riding around america in their sports car so it was a very open format and it let the st- the studios tell a whole bunch of different stories with the two same two main characters and it was a really interesting tv series then we've got uh joanne drew playing uh jane phillips Peter Lawford playing the millionaire who wants to investigate his fiancée, Sylvia. His name is Frederick Summers. Vivica Lindfos, who I like as an actress. is a really interesting actress playing uh, a librarian who helped Sylvia in her early life. And then a bunch of character actors like Edmund O'Brien, Aldo Ray, and Southern, Lloyd Bochner, Paul Gilbert. Nancy Kovacs, who plays one of the most interesting characters, Big Shirley. Mm-hmm. and a bunch of other people. So the story is fairly simple. What happens is, um, and I'll do the IMDB one, the ring the back cover bloop doesn't really cover the movie, it covers the book more than anything. Sylvia West is a young poet engaged to Frederick Summers, an eccentric millionaire. Summers, a man who always fears he's being loved for his money, decides to make a check on his prospective bride. The results of this check completely shock him. Not one fact matches his Sylvia. Intrigued and bewildered, Summers hires Detective Alan Macklin and has him make a thorough investigation on Sylvia. And, um, yeah, so basically the movie finds out that Sylvia started from very poor circumstances in Pittsburgh and had um, a life filled with some very horrible events. She was raped as a teenager. She um, descended into prostitution, both kind of street-level and more posh prostitution. And pulled herself out of it by educating herself. So um, tell me what you thought about Sylvia.
2: Um, I, I'm i very disturbed by both. The fact that the guy who wants to marry her investigates her to find out who she is. Mm. It's so distrustful. Um, and then it's like, depending on what he finds out, he'll decide whether he's going to go through with it and marry her. So that's not very uh, romantic. Okay, um, yeah. And also the fact that basically the detective then falls in love with her as well, but he didn't actually know her until the end of the film, so that he was basically stalking her by investigating her and then comes to her with this really weird power dynamic where he knows everything about her and she doesn't know that he knows everything about her. So putting that aside, because that kind of was like the bit that sewed the whole movie together. Yeah. The rest of it was really interesting. I mean very interesting uh person um and and driven and i guess in a way willing to do whatever it would take to get her where she wanted to go um yeah you go
1: yeah i mean the the sylvia character is in a lot of ways the most interesting one and we only see her in flashback we don't actually meet her in current times toward until towards the end of the film and you know being a self-educated person myself, I've got a lot of sympathy for a character that pulls themselves out of a, a shit childhood yeah. and educates themselves. I understand that at a, at a really deep level, so I like the character a lot. I don't think that um, Carol Baker was the strongest actress in Hollywood, but she did a lot of research um, doing this. She um, went travelled around to the various locations by herself. She went to a Mexican brothel to investigate it down in Tijuana. She um, she basically did everything she could to understand the character, more than probably you'd expect from an actor in this kind of role in a middle-budget, black-and-white Hollywood film at the time. She actually uh, tried very hard to nail the characters, including things like Sylvia never carried a purse except in one scene because the studio kept, having meetings about what kind of purse should sylvia carry Mm -hmm. and she knew the character wasn't about that so she just put a foot down and said no i'm not going to carry a purse at all it's not about the purse it's about this woman and her journey to being who she wants to be yeah and um i really like that i like george maharis as an actor as well i think he um gives a bit of depth to macklin and and a bit of charm to macklin that Makes him a bit unlike a lot of other movie detectives, which I found kind of interesting, living aside the creepy stalkerish looking yeah. around for I mean, details about it.
2: yeah, and obviously he comes to like that kind of moral conundrum where he's sort of like um, so this is really interesting, and, and we discussed it we came in a different angle last time mm. when um, he meets um it's Jane isn't it yeah who uh she had had a really strong uh relationship with um and uh, the quote that really struck me was when, when Jane said that, you know, uh, relationships between men, friendships between men, deep friendships between men are this thing that's really prized and, and, and thought to be a great thing, but between women it's it's never really as valuable, but that that's what they had had. Yeah. And um, they'd really been there for each other in a really tough spot, but she realised that in order for Sylvia to be who she really wanted to be. She needed to, like, leave everything behind. So even those connections that she'd made for someone who really didn't have a lot of, like, connections or support in her life and to have to leave such a good friend behind in order to be who you want to be, that she totally understood that. Yeah. And it's sort of this whole everybody was there on the journey towards her being who she wanted to be, which was this really graceful um, woman at the end um, with this huge dignity and grace and um, knowledge. And, you know, she she became a poet, which is um, a really intellectual kind of pursuit. Uh, It it was um, really touching to kind of like have to leave everything behind in order to become who you want to be. It must be
1: lonely. Yeah, and the Jane character for me is a fascinating character character because she married into wealth. Her husband knew all about her history as a a sex worker and things like that, and didn't judge. That's the thing I like Mm -hmm. about this movie most of all is it's non-judgmental about sex workers. In 1965, that was almost unheard of and it probably affected the box office of the film because it took an incredibly unpopular view, which again, a bit like some aspects of the other movie.
2: Yeah, I was thinking that too. They're both very sex positive and free and non-judgmental, So, um, which was probably just more honest about what people were doing at the time, but um, you normally get this very luxury mm. tone about such things. Um, yeah, it, there, was, there was never any judgment about the fact that they were sex workers and that most of the people that he was speaking to about her were involved in that kind of um, industry.
1: Yeah, um, there, and the thing is that the, the other part about the movie, apart from that, which is a very important point of the film, mm. is I love the fact that there are these little vignettes with character actors who get to do some really nice work. There's uh, a guy called Jay Novello playing a priest to help Sylvia out um, when she was down in Mexico, having gone down there with a fake preacher who was obviously you know, using her for sex. The preacher died. Was, Sorry? It
2: was for sex. Like it, Clearly he was a con man. Mm. Um, she comes to him because she's looking for help and there's this kind of creepy moment where they come into some kind of weird embrace and she, like, wanders off with him. And I kind of thought, thought that was her getting sucked into some kind of cult-like relationship.
1: I read, I've read. i been reading the book. And, yeah, basically you were sexually abusing her.
2: Yeah, well, she says, I hated the man, but she was with him for, like, two years.
1: Yeah. Because she didn't have any better options, and and that's yeah. the interesting part about it. So there's the priest there, who's again very non-judgmental. He um, doesn't approve of things, but he doesn't judge them.
2: Yeah.
1: And he's is you know, like the he's everything that's an ideal of a small town Catholic priest, but nothing like the reality. And I kind of like that character as well. There's Mrs. Argona, who worked with Sylvia in a penny arcade in uh-huh. New York, played by Anne Southern, and she's got her own story and her own arc and, and her own flaws as yeah. a character. But yeah. she's grand and kind of blousy and interesting. I, I love the character for that reason.
2: Yeah, and she was sort of poignant as well when she sort of found out that Sylvia ended up where she wanted to go. Mm. She kind of cried, not because she was jealous, but because she because Sylvia had ended up so beautiful.
1: And, and yeah, you know, being the person she wanted to be, which is... Yeah. Um, an interesting part and then you get that little vignette with nancy kovacs character who um is an enormously tall showgirl who's nearsighted and incredibly beautiful and a little bit kind of feather-brained um nancy kovac big shirley and she's enormously tall wearing very little costume yes but still her own person and you know the, the, all of these all of these characters have got their own integrity in a way they're they're well written and well acted and they're a bit of fun
2: and very rounded like yeah there was no sort of two-dimensional characters they they were you were you kind of wanted to see more about any one of them
1: yeah and then there were the negative male characters as well like oscar stewart who gives um sylvia a lift to new york from mexico and basically uses her sexually for that time and in a very sick sense falls in love with what he thinks she is. Uh, yeah, I mean, that, that was. I like Edmund O'Brien for playing those kind of icky roles because they're a hard one to play, but um, a certain kind of actor can play them very well. And Edmund O'Brien did play slightly oily characters in a lot of um, movie and television roles over his career. And I, I like the fact that they're willing to show. The kind of men that Sylvia had to put up with to get to where she needed to be, yeah, and uh, that's good, and then you got Lola Diamond, who was a totally off the wall bugfuck crazy character, <laughs> so do you want to tell us about Lola Diamond and what Lola Diamond is in this movie
2: i I was distracted by that whole scene <laughs> <laughs>
1: um,
2: I was. So yeah, Lola Diamond uh, was a drag performer. Yep. And pimp.
1: Hmm.
2: Um. And from what I could tell, um, there were, yeah, there was some shadiness going on there. But but you you love Lola Diamond better than
1: me. Yeah, because Lola Diamond is a karate chopping <laughs> drag queen pimp played by an actor called Paul Gilbert, who was uh, Melissa Gilbert from Little House on the Prairie Stepfather. Um, Yeah, but, um, yeah, it's it's one of those characters that's just kind of so off the wall. And even though people are surprised when he takes off the wig and, and lights up a cigar, nobody's actually too much judging him for that part of him, the fact that he's a drag performer. But they judge, oh, yeah, he's a pimp as well, so that part he gets judged for. But it doesn't get judged for having an um, alternate lifestyle to an extent. And and that again makes the movie interesting because there have been any number of drag queens in movies of the time, particularly Hollywood films, where they've been treated very, very badly Mm -hmm. and treated as something kind of sick and perverse and evil. And Lola Diamond as a character is there being evil for, for basically exploiting women and not for being a karate chopping brassy yeah, drag queen singer and yeah. I, I like that part I like the fact that they kind of make that differentiation in this film but uh, for me one of the interesting things about it is the kind of roles an actor like George Maharas plays because George Maharas who is now out was a closeted gay actor who was very, very popular on TV, had a couple of brushes with the law for things that now would not be in any way illegal. And because of that, the Hollywood studios, he suddenly became kryptonite to them. After starting a movie career, he did a movie called The Satan Bug, which was quite popular, an adventure film, and a couple of other films. But He didn't... There was... I'm not sure what you'd call a glass ceiling for closeted gay actors, but he hit his head against that, where he had what was necessary to be a a movie star at a larger level.
2: It's really a shame.
1: It is. I I like him. He's actually still alive, which is nice. I like um, movie actors from my childhood who are still alive. It it makes me feel less old. Um, But, yeah, I mean, Maharas, really um, an interesting actor very good looking guy and i think he was also an intelligent actor that you see a lot of that in the way he plays macklin and leaving aside the hollywood ending where they fall in love and mm-hmm. the movie ends with a kiss kind of thing well, the, the
2: worst is ever in the world
1: <laughs> that yeah.
3: Just was so,
1: um, <laughs> yeah it didn't really work because the angle was wrong and, and the approach they took was wrong on it and yeah, it kind of spoils the movie more than the fact that they kiss actually does.
3: That's terrible. But,
1: yeah, I mean, it, it really doesn't work very well at all for that reason. But I like. there's not an actor in here that I don't like their work in this movie. No. I, uh, I think it works really well. And again, it, it, that kind of foresight in having that non-judgmental thing about certain people and, and people coming from a poor background trying to make the best of their lives does make this movie really playable to a 21st century audience it it's one of those ones that even though it's of a a certain period of time the mid-1960s it doesn't date from a moral viewpoint for us in a a lot of ways not at all and i really like that and i keep uh, when i'm looking through movies i always look for those little moments that play well or actors who play well to 21st century audiences i mean um, Catherine Hepburn was that kind of an actor, an idol of There are a number of women actors. Thelma Ritter, character actor who was nominated six times for an Oscar and never won. Um, and you know, just those there are certain actors like that who play really well to 21st century audiences, whereas big stars at the time, people like Diana Dawes and um, even Marilyn Monroe... Don't play particularly well to our to a twenty first century audience, but there are these other actors that just nail it.
2: Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah.
1: So overall, um, what's your kind of summary of Sylvia?
2: Complex,
1: mm-hmm. gritty,
2: uh, ultimately kind of satisfying that she ended up where she wanted to go. But let's just forget that whole romance
3: thing.
1: <laughs> I agree. Um, I think this movie deserves a lot more oxygen than it gets as well because you can't find it on DVD, unfortunately. Uh, But I think it could kind of be a a cult film if it was given a little bit of opportunity. I I think there's enough in this one Mm -hmm. to really make it interesting to a number of different kinds of film buffs.
2: And I'm really glad that you brought it to me because I never would have found it otherwise.
1: It's hard to find some of these things, but um, I think I saw it on late-night television back when late-night commercial television actually showed movies. Movie, I know it yeah. doesn't sound likely to modern audiences, but, yeah, that's exactly what happened. Yeah. And, that's good and the story arc and, and the kind of Citizen Kane question of who Sylvia is and her past uh, really kind of works. And um, I think maybe because it was a smaller film there wasn't as much money invested in it the studio either you know, didn't pay attention or cut them enough slack to be able to tell this kind of story where you don't have uh, middle 20th century American morality upheld mm. and um, I like that the character played by Peter Lawford I reckon 21st century version of this film, very Donald Trumpy
2: Oh, yes,
1: great. Yeah, yeah they kind of, yeah, I'll, I'll marry this woman who's younger, much younger than me and beautiful, but only when I know everything about her.
2: I mean, I guess in a way if you're very wealthy you would be suspicious of people, mm-hmm. um, but, yeah, I mean, it was a bit, you kind of knew that if he brought back the information about who she was he wouldn't want to marry her.
1: Yeah, it's, it's just... Um, yeah, you know, most of the rich people you see in media and, and you see the ultra-wealthy, there's not too many of them that aren't real shits.
3: Mm. Mm.
1: There's something about money that does something to people, I think. And, um, it, it, I mean, you get the Bill and Melinda Gates thing where they are spending a lot of money on you know, eradicating malaria and all those sorts of things, but for every one of them, there are about five billionaires yeah. who are basically James Bond villains who don't stick their head up above the parapets too much
3: yeah
1: yeah but um yeah but we'll agree we'll agree that wealthy women are a bit pathetic in 1960s movies and wealthy (laughs) men are utter bastards (laughs) okay um is there anything else you want to plug or talk about any of your lovely little projects that are popping up that people might want to know about
2: Not today, not right now, but I would like to be invited back to do this again.
1: We are going to do this again. Um, On the 200th episode, one of the things I promised myself after the 200th episode of Paleo and the 100th episode of Martian Driving is I want to get more guests in because I I like the interaction, but radio has addicted me to that. Doing the ABC radio gig has addicted me to that. And even though, yes, it is a, a wonderful tightrope walk doing solo podcasts, I think I can bring more by getting interesting and intelligent guests like yourself in oh, to you. give different viewpoints on things because, yeah, my viewpoint's one thing, but I like having different people's viewpoints on things. It um, helps me with my understanding of the movies. And it's fun, too. And, um, and to be honest with you, it takes the pressure off.
2: Yeah, good. It's a lot of fun, though. To, uh, I mean, I really enjoy just... Getting two random films and, like, watching them, and
1: like, that was fun. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so, anyway, thank you very much for being the 200th episode guest on Paleo Cinema. Thank
2: for inviting me. Congratulations on 200 episodes.
1: Yeah, it's, it's like, um, I, I try not to think back on, geez, I've done this 200 times, because that would scare the shit out of me for some odd reason. But uh, I'm glad I got here, and I'm glad I keep doing it, because I still enjoy doing it. That's awesome. As you do Galactic Suburbia and all of your other projects, you wouldn't do them unless you enjoyed them.
2: I think that's, yes, you don't do stuff in your spare time if it's horrible.
1: This is true. And spare time is one of those commodities that neoliberalism is trying to squeeze the life out of um, for people. And, yeah, we could go on a rant with that, but I won't. But yeah. anyway, thank you very much, Lisa. Say thank hi you. to the uh, Rugrats and to Chris for me will do. (laughs) And, um, tell, don't forget to tell Max, she owes me a baby Chino again.
2: She will (laughs) oblige. Okay.
1: You take care and I'll catch you later. Thank you too. Bye bye. Bye. So that was Alyssa and I talking about the two movies. Um, we also have congratulations because I did get, after much begging, congratulations for the 200th episode and also the 100th of Martian driving. Now, I'm going to be putting this chunk of feedback on both feeds. So the feedback, whether it relates to Paleo or to Martian, will be going on to both episodes. So it'll go on the 200th, which is this one, and on the 100th of Martian Drive-In, which should be out about Wednesday. It's now Sunday. So first off, we've got a voicemail from an old and dear friend of the podcast's.
4: Hey Terry, this is Rich Chamberlain from Kansas City, formerly known as Richard from Wichita and probably more commonly referred to as the Monster Movie Kid these days, thanks to my blog and various podcast appearances, calling in to wish you a happy 200th episode of Paleo Cinema. Now, I I can't say that I've been there since the very beginning, because I, I wasn't, but I was introduced to your show because of our mutual friend, the late, great Vince Rotolo, and his mentioning of your show on his own show, The B-Movie Cast. Uh, once I listen to an episode of Paleo Cinema, I've got hooked. And, of course, with the Martian Drive-In podcast, I have been there since episode one of that. Um, I got to say, with, with Paleo Cinema, I love what you do with the show because it's different than the other podcasts I listen to. You have a very eclectic mix of films, some of which um, I'm familiar with, they're mainstream, and then you will pull something out that I have never seen or heard of before, and I really appreciate that. Uh, I appreciate your 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 blunt honesty on the show. Um, you know, you've opened up about your own um, personal past, and um, I know that that's, that can be very difficult, but also... Can be therapeutic, and you do that with uh, with all of us listening to the show. And for that, uh, I again say thank you. Um, the show, to me, is is something that I have listened to through good times and bad. I mean, many times. I would listen to the show as I was driving down to Oklahoma to visit my mom and dad when they lived down there, and I would call in as I was on some lowly highway and leave in a voicemail to you, and uh, unfortunately, the events of the last couple of years have left me still behind on the podcast. I'm slowly working my way through the episodes. Um, but I want to say that your show has got me through those good times and bad times that I've experienced this year, and will continue to do so. As the year winds down, we get to the holidays. Uh, I just want to say, you know, thank you for for helping lift my spirits on days that I need it, um, and just helping me discover films that, uh, like I said, that I would never watch or not be aware of. The Extraordinary Adventures of Adele uh, Sec, I... I struggle with the title of that film. Um, I purchased that on iTunes, based on your recommendation, and uh, absolutely loved it. It was an incredibly, incredibly fun film that I would not have even known about were it not for the show. So, um I love everything you do on both of your podcasts, but again, especially happy 200th episode of Paleo Cinema. I love the music episodes that you do. I got to say sometimes that I think those are almost my favorite because, again, you're pulling out such an eclectic mix of, uh, of music. Uh, keep doing what you're doing, sir, uh, even though I'm not calling in with the, the regularity that I used to. Mostly it's because my comments would be, unfortunately, behind because I'm perpetually behind on the podcast. But I am listening to each and every episode, slowly working my way through the backlog. I'm loving each and every one. Keep doing what you're doing, sir, and uh, we'll talk to you soon.
1: Yeah, thanks for that, Rich. I really appreciate it. I'm glad I'm doing something positive with this, apart from keeping me off the streets on a Sunday afternoon. Uh, Yeah, if you want to put in feedback about any of the episodes, regardless of how old they are, even if you're in backlog, do it. It doesn't hurt, and it actually helps the podcast because... Some people who might not have clocked those particular episodes might go back and listen to them. So there's no downside to doing that. And I'm always happy to kind of have that feedback if you have the time and the inclination to provide it. Yeah, and you've been a supporter of the podcast enormously, and I really appreciate that. And if it's got you through hard times, and I'm aware of the hard times of which you speak... I'm glad, it's it's something positive that's coming out of podcasting, um, now the next Martian Drive-In which I'm recording probably about Wednesday has my talk about podcasting and as a general philosophy and as a way of getting your shit together, so you might be interested in that one Richard, it really does work for me and um, yeah and if it helps other people that's fantastic and uh, I'm, I'm very touched by that, so thank you for that. Also got um, an email feedback from Mark Reaper saying, Hello Terry, I wanted to congratulate you on reaching both episode 200 of Paleo Cinema and episode 100 of Martian Drive-In. That's 300 episodes of quality film discussion. We can d- disagree about that, Mark. Um, let me add one point that might be of interest. In your discussion of Mask of the Red Death, you talked a bit about the lovely Jane Asher. You didn't mention what for me was her iconic role as the little girl having a tea party for her dolls when she is happened upon by the alien creature in the Quatermass experiment. She was also very f- in a very funny film, Death at a Funeral, less than a decade ago. That's quite a stretch of time. Congratulations again. Are you ever going to get to Sleep Dealer, which is the movie that I uh, agreed to do for Mark? Yes, I will, Mark. I've got it on DVD now. It's at the top of the short list, and I suspect sometime very early in 2017, martian driving will cover sleep dealer so thank you for that feedback as well let me have a look here i've also got some feedback from our friend morris who saved the day with this particular podcast with panelist number 200 by getting me some software that uh, fixed the skype recording problems i had and morris and i meet up regularly for quick coffee breaks um in our work lunch hours so morris says hey terry Congrats on both the combined 100 episodes of MDip and 200 of Paleocinema. On the one hand, it sounds like a huge achievement, but I already know that you do these shows as a labour of love, so there's little or no hardship involved. Yeah, right. I have already mentioned to you, but Paleo Cinema was my second discovered podcast after the now-long-gone Mondo Movies podcast back in 2010. I think the Alvin Purple and Barbarella episode was my first. There are many great film podcasts out there, but I love that you not only combine your knowledge of the history and the players of the cinema, but you often create link, a link between the film under discussion and its social context. Often great films and literature and music are reflections of the world we live in, so it's only, it only makes sense that you take that angle. Most shows I've heard don't make the link, at least not in the way you do you put me onto some films I've never knew about and feel all the richer for having watched, which I think is your motor stop, Brandy. It is, actually, Morris Yeah, I'm so glad to have met you in real life to discuss films and other events in our lives over coffee, your other great passion. Anyway, congratulations to you for both doing both podcasts continually and flying solo for much of it. Look forward to my weekly dose of frost in my ear holes. Continue to fly the flagship of great podcasting and educating your listeners in film appreciation. Cheers, Morris. Yeah, thank you, Morris. I uh, appreciate that. And it's good fun meeting up with you and, and kind of info-dumping on each other at Hudson's Coffee down on um, Burke Street. We are going to go out for pizza at some stage. We've got to kind of line that up as well. But most of the time, it's a quick half an hour of info-dumping and shooting the shit, and, and we alternate in shouting each other the coffees. And, and that's a lot of fun. And Morris has been a big supporter of the podcast though, too. Um, Chris Mount sent me an email as well. And he says, Terry, I wanted to send an MP3, but there seems to be a gremlin in my microphone. It's hard for a solo podcaster to be successful. You have to be charming, insightful, and have a vision, can groove on. Frost Giant, you have all three in spades. I started with your damn trilogy on episode 27. I've been a faithful listener ever since. Not sure if it was Metal Mikey or Doctor who first turned me on to you, but I'm grateful that they did. What sets you apart from the others is you aren't afraid to journey off the beaten path. Your French film and Triple X trilogy episodes have been real standouts. You're the Indiana Jones of Film Podcasters. Thank you for all that you do, and that's why I'm not just a listener, but a patron as well. Chris. Yeah, thanks for that, Chris. So, Indiana Jones, yeah, that's, that's apt in one way, because Indiana Jones said that he makes it up as he goes along. And for a great deal of the podcast, I make it up as I go along, uh if you listen to the next martian drive and i talk a little bit about my process with that toward the end of that um talk that i gave on podcasting which is i write notes and i cram as much information into my head and i print things out and read them again and that then lets me talk about the podcast without actually having a script um it, there are times when I miss out really important details, and I sometimes go back and just kind of edit them in. But other times, you go, "Okay, well, I've got more research than I need. I haven't been able to put everything that I meant to say in there, but what I've done will stand for itself." So yeah, there's there's a weird kind of process to this that I've kind of created up out of whole cloth, but, and it seems to be working. I'm constantly changing that as as I learn new things about doing this very very new medium. So we got one from Tony Larder as well, an email. How Terry, I heard that there was still time to congratulate you on this awesome run. I have been listening to Paleo Cinema since I first discovered podcast, which would have been around 2008. I like that it's an easy listening solo effort most of the time, and it's taught me much. I don't see as many of the actual films these days, but it doesn't affect my enjoyment of the show. Your podcast is always on my regular rotation. I hope it's around a long, for a long time to come. Yeah, me too. I'm going to keep doing it. I, I'm enjoying it. I find it a fantastic um, way of meeting people, which is always good. I also find it a really challenging and fun mental exercise to get this shit out there every week. Um, not just because I'm, I'm doing it every week repeatedly, but because I'm also... you know, It keeps you mentally agile. And I'm turning 60 next year. And yeah, that's that's fucking scary. but apart from that, mental, you know neuroplasticity and, and mental activity, like recording a podcast works towards the longevity of my brain. So I'm, it's going to be around for a long time. I want to keep doing it until I'm looking at the grass from the other side, uh, which I hope sometime around 2080, I'm not sure it's going to be quite that long, but that's the goal I'm shooting for. I want to live to be about 130. So thank you very much for that, Tony, and thank you for listening. Uh, One of the things I've found that some people do, and this may be a tip for you, Tony, is write down the movies you might want to watch from the podcast. Keep a list, and inevitably, at some stage, you'll spot them somewhere online, on a stream... Uh, in a store, whatever, and because you've got that list and you've written it down, you'll pick up those movies. It really does help to do that kind of thing. And uh, my good friend David Cummer, who I have met once in real life in um, Minneapolis, sent an email as well, and David says, "'Ack, I was right in the middle of working on an anti-Trump meme "'when I suddenly remembered you were doing your 200th episode. "'This is wonderful.' Seriously, I've really enjoyed getting to know you and Sal through Paleo and consider both of you my best friends in some place I'll never see. Congratulations, David. Yeah, thanks, David. I uh, appreciate that. And uh, yeah, it's it's fun and it is a network and it is a kind of community and a tribe that gets created with these things. Some of it's on social media, some of it's through the podcast here, but whatever it is, it's a new kind of community and I love the fact that it is. I like being part of um, positive changes in the world. And it's very much a case that um, these things are positive changes. Uh, Let's see. I also got another email from um, Chris Mounts. Uh, It's pretty much this. No, here it is. It's a bit different. And this one's probably for Martian driving, but because I'm linking them all in, I'll be putting it both on Martian and here on Paleo. Uh, Terry, I wanted to send you an MP3, but I've travelled back in time to 1996 to send you this email. I was on board since your first episode, and I was your first patron, I believe, too. And yeah, I think you well may well have been, Chris. I, well, I'd have to go back and look at that. And this is, for, again, for Martian. I like that Martian Driving gives you the freedom to tackle new films, films new and old, but keeps you rooted in the genres of science fiction, fantasy, and horror. Even though you are a scruffy-looking nerf herder who hates E.T., I still adore you. Sometimes I think, films have gone to shit over the last 20 years and then you remind me to look back on past films I've missed and to look forward to new things indie and foreign to be informed by the past but looking toward the future is the best attitude to have toward film and the world thanks again for all that you do and that's why I'm not just a listener I'm a patron too Chris yeah thank you Chris it is what I'm trying to do Uh, there is a lot of crap out there I'll be honest with you in whatever genre of anything you like um Theodore Sturgeon, the great science fiction and fantasy writer, said the ninety percent of everything is shit, and it is. and him having said that, people can focus on the ninety percent, which you yeah, a lot of people do. There's a lot out there you can focus on, a lot you can take the piss out of, a lot that can dishearten you. but the ten percent is the bit that really matters. The 10% of good things, the 10% of people who not only are good people, and, and most people in the world are, but who are extraordinarily good people. They're the ones that you should treasure. There's 10%, the best 10% of anything is needs to be protected and nurtured, because it will expand, it will become a larger percentage of the world. And you know, I'm, I'm not saying that all that this podcast is in that 10%, I don't think I have that conceit, but I aspire to be in the 10%. Uh, and... Yeah, having an audience as wise and as kind as the audience that um, Paleo and Martian have had is a large part of that. And the other thing I've got to do is thank Sally because she puts up with a lot of me ranting and raving about the podcast and talking about it. And it takes up a chunk of our weekend as well. And yeah, she gets pissed off with it at times. I'm not going to dismiss that. But also, she's the biggest supporter I have for this thing. So anyway, I'm going to wrap it up. The two carries, of course, are important podcast subscribers, and I haven't yet put them onto the uh, podcast feed for the credits, and I will do probably sometime before the reindeer shit hits the roof in December. But in the meantime, thank you for listening. Thank you for being a part of this podcast and ongoing into the future, uh, an important, essential part of the podcast. I'll be back Um, as I said, next Wednesday with Martian Drive-In Podcast, and then next weekend, and that's a bit scary, with another Paleo Cinema Podcast. It's been a blast. It continues to be a blast that it will be in the future. So look after yourselves. Look after the people you love. Do random acts of senseless kindness. And uh, just, just take care of yourself and the world because you really need to do that, particularly in the times in which we live. Um, that's why I put the Noel Coward at the front of this podcast. So I tend to leave you after the credits with a little song. I'm going to play the theme song from Sylvia, one of the movies I talked about in this podcast after the credits but uh, take care of yourselves and I'll be back really soon thank you to all of the Patreon subscribers and here are the credits in the style of movie credits to acknowledge and thank all of them we have Tom our focus puller Sarah our special effects technician Ian our caterer Grant our Technicolor consultant Claire our script doctor Gary our prop master Morris our music director Jan our dialect coach Armin our key grip Matt, our Rattlesnake Wrangler. Elaine, our Scientific Advisor. Julia, our Casting Director. Chris, our Camera Operator. Christopher, our Gaffer. Miss Jane, the Wardrobe Mistress. Tansy, the Foley Artist. Alyssa, the Location Scout. Mark, our Second Unit Director. Paul, our Special Makeup Effects Director. Tammy, our Donut Wrangler. Tim, our New York Unit Director. Rabbi Steve, our spiritual advisor, Steve, our script doctor, Dylan, our goat wrangler, Eric, our set security lead, Carrie, our second script doctor, Richard, our set photographer and our extras, Kathleen, Mark and David. And let's not forget Steve Sullivan, our director of Monster Effects, and Richard C., our transportation co-captain. So thank you very much to all the subscribers, and you too can subscribe at patreon.com slash paleocinema.
3: We